Chapter Three of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Greenman. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Chapter Three: The Paladin Groans and Boasts. We were twenty-five strong and well-equipped. We rode in double file, Joan and her brothers in the center of the column, with Jean de Metz at the head of it and the Sieur Bertrand at its extreme rear. In two or three hours we should be in the enemy's country, and then none would venture to desert. By and by we began to hear groans and sobs and execrations from different points along the line, and upon inquiry found that six of our men were peasants who had never ridden a horse before, and were finding it very difficult to stay in their saddles, and moreover were now beginning to suffer considerable bodily torture. They had been seized by the governor at the last moment, and pressed into the service to make up the tale, and he had placed a veteran alongside of each with orders to help him stick to the saddle, and kill him if he tried to desert. These poor devils had kept quiet as long as they could, but their physical miseries were become so sharp by this time that they were obliged to give them vent. But we were within the enemy's country now, so there was no help for them. They must continue the march, though Joan said that if they chose to take the risk they might depart. They preferred to stay with us. We modified our pace now and moved cautiously, and the new men were warned to keep their sorrows to themselves, and not get the command into danger with their curses and lamentations. Toward dawn we rode deep into a forest, and soon all but the sentries were sound asleep in spite of the cold ground and the frosty air. I woke at noon, out of such a solid and stupefying sleep that at first my wits were all astray, and I did not know where I was, nor what had been happening. Then my senses cleared, and I remembered. As I lay there, thinking over the strange events of the past month or two, the thought came into my mind, greatly surprising me, that one of Joan's prophecies had failed. For where were Noel and the Paladin, who were to join us at the eleventh hour? By this time, you see, I had gotten used to expecting everything Joan said to come true. So, being disturbed and troubled by these thoughts, I opened my eyes. Well, there stood the Paladin leaning against a tree and looking down on me. How often that happens! You think of a person, or speak of a person, and there he stands before you, and you not dreaming he is near. It looks as if his being near is really the thing that makes you think of him, and not just an accident, as people imagine. Well, be that as it may, there was the paladin, anyway, looking down in my face and waiting for me to wake. I was ever so glad to see him, and jumped up and shook him by the hand, and led him a little way from the camp, he limping like a cripple, and told him to sit down, and said, Now where have you dropped down from, and how did you happen to light in this place? And what do the soldier clothes mean? Tell me all about it. He answered, I marched with you last night. No! To myself I said, The prophecy has not all failed. Half of it has come true. Yes, I did. I hurried up from Domremy to join, and was within a half a minute of being too late. In fact, I was too late. But I begged so hard that the governor was touched by my brave devotion to my country's cause. Those are the words he used. And so he yielded and allowed me to come. I thought to myself, this is a lie. He is one of those six the governor recruited by force at the last moment. I know it, for Joan's prophecy said he would join at the eleventh hour, but not by his own desire. Then I said aloud, I am glad you came. It is a noble cause, and one should not sit at home in times like these. Sit at home. I could no more do it than the thunderstone could stay hid in the clouds when the storm calls it. 
that is the right talk. It sounds like you. That pleased him. I am glad you know me. Some don't. But they will, presently. They will know me well enough before I get done with this war. That is what I think. I believe that wherever danger confronts you, you will make yourself conspicuous. He was charmed with this speech, and it swelled him up like a bladder. He said, If I know myself, and I think I do, my performances in this campaign will give you occasion more than once to remember those words. I were a fool to doubt it, that I know. I shall not be at my best, being but a common soldier. Still, the country will hear of me. If I were where I belong, if I were in the place of La Hire, or saint Ray or the Bastard of Orléans, well, I say nothing. I am not of the talking kind, like Noel Regesson and his sort, I thank God. But it will be something, I take it, a novelty in this world, I should say, to raise the fame of a private soldier above theirs, and extinguish the glory of their names with its shadow. Why, look here, my friend, I said, do you know that you have hit out a most remarkable idea there? Do you realize the gigantic proportions of it? For, look you, to be a general of vast renown, what is that? Nothing. History is clogged and confused with them. One cannot keep their names in his memory, there are so many. But a common soldier of supreme renown, why, he would stand alone. He would be the one moon in a firmament of mustard-seed stars. His name would outlast the human race. My friend, who gave you that idea? He was ready to burst with happiness, but he suppressed betrayal of it as well as he could. He simply waved the compliment aside with his hand, and said with complacency, "'It is nothing. I have them often, ideas like that, and even greater ones. I do not consider this one much.' "'You astonish me. You do, indeed. So it is really your own?' "'Quite. And there is plenty more where it came from,' tapping his head with his finger, and taking occasion at the same time to cant his morion over his right ear, which gave him a very self-satisfied air. I do not need to borrow my ideas like Noel Regesson. Speaking of Noel, when did you see him last? Half an hour ago. He is sleeping yonder like a corpse. Rode with us last night. I felt a great upleap in my heart, and said to myself, Now I am at rest and glad. I will never doubt her prophecies again. Then I said aloud, it gives me joy, it makes me proud of our village. There is not keeping our Lionhearts at home in these great times, I see that. Lionheart? Who? That baby? Why, he begged like a dog to be let off, cried, and said he wanted to go to his mother. Him, a Lionheart? That tumble-bug? Dear me, why, I supposed he volunteered, of course, didn't he? Oh, yes, he volunteered the way people do to the headsman. Why, when he found I was coming up from Domremy to volunteer, he asked me to let him come along in my protection, and see the crowds and the excitement. Well, we arrived, and saw the torches filing out of the castle, and ran there, and the governor had him seized, along with four more, and he begged to be let off, and I begged for his place, and at last the governor allowed me to join, but wouldn't let Noel off, because he was disgusted with him he was such a crybaby. Yes, and much good he'll do the king's service. He'll eat for six and run for sixteen. I hate a pygmy with half a heart and nine stomachs. Why, this is very surprising news to me, and I am sorry and disappointed to hear it. I thought he was a very manly fellow. The paladin gave me an outraged look and said, I don't see how you can talk like that. I'm sure I don't. I don't see how you could have got such a notion. I don't dislike him and I'm not saying these things out of prejudice, for I don't allow myself to have prejudices against people. 
I like him and have always comraded with him from the cradle, but he must allow me to speak my mind about his faults, and I am willing he shall speak his about mine, if I have any. And, true enough, maybe I have, but I reckon they'll bear inspection. I have that idea, anyway. A manly fellow! You should have heard him whine and wail and swear last night because the saddle hurt him. Why didn't the saddle hurt me? Pooh! I was as much at home in it as if I had been born there. And yet it was the first time I was ever on a horse. All those old soldiers admired my riding. They said they had never seen anything like it. But him, why, they had to hold him on all the time. An odor as of breakfast came stealing through the wood. The paladin unconsciously inflated his nostrils in lustful response, and got up and limped painfully away, saying he must go and look to his horse. At bottom he was all right, and a good-hearted giant, without any harm in him, for it is no harm to bark, if one stops there and does not bite, and it is no harm to be an ass, if one is content to bray and not kick. If this vast structure of brawn and muscle and vanity and foolishness seemed to have a libelous tongue, what of it? There was no malice behind it, and besides, the defect was not of his own creation. It was the work of Noel Regisson, who had nurtured it, and fostered it, built it up and perfected it, for the entertainment he got out of it. His careless light heart had to have somebody to nag and chafe and make fun of. The paladin had only needed development in order to meet its requirements. Consequently, the development was taken in hand and diligently attended to and looked after, gnat and bull fashion, for years, to the neglect and damage of far more important concerns. The result was an unqualified success. Noel prized the society of the paladin above everybody else's. The paladin preferred anybody's to Noel's. The big fellow was often seen with the little fellow, but it was for the same reason that the bull is often seen with the gnat. With the first opportunity I had a talk with Noel. I welcomed him to our expedition, and said, "'It was fine and brave of you to volunteer, Noel.' His eye twinkled, and he answered, "'Yes.' It was rather fine, I think. Still, the credit doesn't all belong to me. I had help. Who helped you? The governor. How? Well, I'll tell you the whole thing. I came up from Domremy to see the crowds and the general show, for I hadn't ever had any experience of such things, of course, and this was a great opportunity. But I hadn't any mind to volunteer. I overtook the paladin on the road and let him have my company the rest of the way, although he did not want it and said so, and while we were gawking and blinking in the glare of the governor's torches, they seized us and four more and added us to the escort, and that is really how I came to volunteer. But, after all, I wasn't sorry, remembering how dull life would have been in the village without the paladin. How did you feel about it? Was he satisfied? I think he was glad. Why? Because he said he wasn't. He was taken by surprise, you see, and it is not likely that he could tell the truth without preparation. Not that he would have prepared if he'd had the chance, for I do not think he would. I am not charging him with that. In the same place of time that he could prepare to speak the truth, he could also prepare to lie. Besides, his judgment would be cool then, and would warn him against fooling with new methods in an emergency. No, I am sure he was glad, because he said he wasn't. Do you think he was very glad? Yes, I know he was. He begged like a slave, and bawled for his mother. He said his health was delicate, and he didn't know how to ride a horse, and he knew he couldn't outlive the first march. But really he wasn't looking as delicate as he was feeling. 
There was a cask of wine there, a proper lift for four men. The governor's temper got afire, and he delivered an oath at him that knocked up the dust where it struck the ground, and told him to shoulder that cask, or he would carve him to cutlets and send him home in a basket. The paladin did it, and that secured his promotion to a privacy in the escort without any further debate. Yes, you seem to make it quite plain that he was glad to join, that is, if your premises are right that you start from. How did he stand the march last night? About as I did. If he had made the more noise, it was the privilege of his bulk. We stayed in our saddles because we had help. We are equally lame today, and if he likes to sit down, let him. I prefer to stand. End of chapter 3